This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. Well, welcome everybody. You're tuned in to the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we're continuing with the topic of our basic existence. We're talking about a worldview or designing a worldview that's more loving and compassionate to the world around us. We desire for you to navigate your life with a framework that is relevant, a framework that speaks Jesus and lives the life of Jesus through us. So we've taken a couple of weeks off, which has been very refreshing and healthy. Thanks for allowing us to do that so we can exit summer and enter into fall. Yes, we are in the fall of 2022, which blows my mind that time is moving so fast, but we're back into it and we're picking up the latest series where we left off, Developing an Honest Worldview and what that means and how to develop that. What is your worldview? So to recap a little bit, you'll remember in the previous podcasts that we're using an outline developed from the Belgium philosopher, an atheist philosopher, in fact, Leo Apostol. So according to Leo Apostol, which we're just going to jump right into it, is a worldview is the fundamental cognitive orientation. It's actually a way of thinking. It's a filter in which things, information goes through a pipeline of logic. So our worldview is very strong. It's very powerful. So when information goes into our pipeline, it actually is filtered through bounces on the edges of that pipeline sometimes, then comes out the other side filtered through and shaped by our worldview. So if you believe the world is flat, which very few people do, but there's some that do. That is a pipeline of logic, and they filter information through the world is fat pipeline of logic worldview, and it comes out the other side, the world is flat. How is it possible that somebody still believes the world is flat from their worldview? So we are developing and encompassing all of our individual cognitive knowledge and point of view, hopefully through the lens of Jesus, so that we can reshape and rethink what our worldview possibly is. So here's the framework that we're working off of. Number one, we need an explanation of the world. And we did that. That was called reality. We were trying to figure out what reality was. And truth. So is truth objective? Is it subjective? We came up with different ideas. Go back and re-listen to that podcast. We have some new stuff about that anyway, this, this podcast. Then futurology. Where am I headed? That's what we're talking about tonight. The second prong of this worldview framework is futurology. Where in the hell are we going? right? So are we going to hell? Or are we going to heaven? That's the question. And we're going to talk about heaven and hell. And what is a, well, I would say, what does our view of heaven and hell, how does that shape our worldview? That's an important question. And we're going to talk about the biblical ideas using the Bible. We're going to go through some scripture and we're going to talk about what a biblical view of heaven and a biblical view of hell is. So where the hell are we going? That's what we're discussing tonight. 
Thirdly is values, answering ethical <laughs> questions. Ha, ha, ha. What are we supposed to do in life? What's our ethics? Do we have ethics? Do we have morals? What is our morality? What is our ethical values? Then a methodology, putting that into action. So how is that put into action? You can have values, but if you shove those down people's throats, well, that's probably not pretty loving. So how should we maybe attain our personal goals, but also then share our values with others. And then the what is true and what is false, coming up with a real idea of truth. We have a real idea of reality, but what is the real idea of truth? How do we determine truth? How do we determine what is false? And then we then construct the worldview. We put together these building blocks and we look at what has happened in the past, what is maybe some mistakes that have been made, maybe what has gone right. And we put some building blocks together to shape our worldview. And I hope that over the next few weeks that we can give you enough information that you can put those building blocks together. So this is the six-point framework that we are using from an atheist philosopher, Belgium, of course, right? Atheist philosopher from across the ocean from us. And he has given us an explanation framework of the world. And then we're going to add a Christian idea or Christian explanation to that as we go along. So in previous podcasts, what we've done in this series is, well, we've made mention of this, that when you deconstruct something and you have nothing to move towards, you're really going nowhere. So we have to construct a new way of thinking and a new understanding. So it's, it's, it's very easy to reject something and and maybe it doesn't feel right. Maybe it doesn't match your current context or maybe it's something old that you learn that you're carrying forward that somebody else looks at you and goes, you know, that's completely wrong. So you reject that idea, philosophy, value. But if you don't have anything to replace or move towards, well, you end up sometimes being the very thing that you reject. And so I want to be so different that I end up exactly the same, that old adage where I'm going to reject and then spin around the circle and become exactly what I stuck my middle finger at in the first place. So this, this means that we have to come up with, if we're going to deconstruct, we have to come up with a construct. If our framework is disrupted and a lot of people's framework has been disrupted in the last several years, we need to construct something in order to take the steps. Sometimes baby steps, and that's what we're doing in this podcast. This series is constructing a worldview, which is pretty simple and basic. We're talking about basic things, but very hard to adopt. Why? Well, we've already talked about it. Family systems, reality systems, pressure from culture, our cultural filters, what mom and dad taught us, what grandpa and grandpa taught us, are weighted heavy on our shoulders that we obviously, because they believed it, we have to believe it. So we came up with some things like, just because someone says something that you love and respect them and you care about them and you lived with them and they're your best friend or spouse or grandpa or just an affectionate person in your life or just a friend or an acquaintance, just because they said it does not necessarily make it true. And so those weighted things that we carry forward, 
might not be true. So we need to rethink some things. So this is our thinking space. And I hope that you take the opportunity to think with us. We're presenting ideas and we're presenting thoughts. So tonight we're going to make the best attempt of something that we have no clue about. And that is heaven and hell. I've never been to either place. And so I do not have firsthand experience of what hell looks like, what hell is going to be like. I know some, you know, if, if I take the traditional view, some of my buddies will be there with me and we'll party for eternity. I don't know. But heaven, the same. Some of my buddies will be there according to some traditional, traditional views. So maybe I'll just blow off and play a harp in my diapers in the sky. I have no idea what heaven, no idea what hell is actually. I have no experience. I've been lots of places in the world. Hell is not one of them. Heaven is not one of them either. So there's some traditional destinations that we have. Traditional destinations, keeping the end in mind for the soul, the human soul, that if you believe in Jesus, you go to a place. If you don't believe in Jesus, you go to another place, and it's a little hotter in that other place. Ouch. Scorchy, scorchy. All right. Note to our supporters. If you want to support us, number one, we want you to listen to this podcast. We want you to be a part of us. Engage in a conversation. Leave some questions for us, please. We like questions. We want to know what's in your brain, too, because we're just going to do a verbal vomit and... That's what you get. It's just our musings and our thoughts in this thinking space. If you want to chat with us, if you want to add some notes, if you want to disagree, please, somebody disagree because we want some engaging conversation about these, especially tonight. So whatever social just, media just be kind you, and you're doing so. Yeah, please be kind because we're kind. We want most of the time we're kind. We want you to be kind as well okay so whatever social media platform you listen to or watch we want you to add some questions to that so inter interact with us give us money if you want to go to resonatelife.org and go to the give tab give us some cash and that'll go to support some of this stuff just in the box go we want to support your podcast the constructionist and we'll put the money towards some new equipment because sheree needs a new computer or whatever because if you notice she's pixelated and lagging behind us she has old equipment we need to boost bolster her up on that side over there of the of the mountain since she lives in this town called newburgh anyways but we're in sherwood so we have better broadband. I don't know what the deal is, but anyway. Okay, so hell, heaven. That's what we're talking about. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Shreya, for joining us on such an engaging topic. This is a hot button for so many people. In, in a faith statement, any church, any church that you go to and you pull their faith statement, this is what we believe. And you have like these 15,000 propositions with bullet points. We believe in God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe in, you know, whatever. So there's all these we believes. Every time I read something like that, it's like, we believe this. They don't believe that, right? That's what I feel like when I'm reading those statements is I just want to add, well, you believe this, they don't believe that. And so we kind of separate ourselves with faith statements sometimes it's kind of 
it's kind of weird, especially in the nitty gritty, like the the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, we believe that, but they don't believe that. <laughs> but heaven and hell is one of those things. We believe in a literal hell. We believe in a literal place of heaven, and that's in the face name. It's actually in a traditional, according to Barna, some of the statistics that we've used and his biblical worldview that only, I don't know, 2% of pastors believe in a worldview. I don't know what the percentage is, but it's super low that senior pastors don't have a Christian worldview. I'm a senior pastor. Do I have a Christian worldview? That's what I've been trying to figure out ever since I read his statistics and he called me names. And so I don't like when people call me names and I look at do I have a Christian worldview? I'm a non-believer if I don't have a Christian worldview. Well, then he gave some definition to that Christian worldview. And one of those signature markers of having a Christian worldview is, do you believe in a real heaven place and a real hell place? Well, I would say that our view and perspective of hell and heaven shape more than potentially we desire. That our view of heaven and our view of hell actually shape our decisions. It shapes our desires. It shapes our motivations. It shapes a lot. And we need to be very, very careful, very careful about what we think is out there actually is right here. What we believe is some eternal destination actually is a right now temporal reality in my brain. So even whether I buy something, not buy something, do something, not do something, think something, not think something, act, not act, many times is shaped by our eternal view of destiny. And so out of the New Yorker, I just picked this article fascinating article from a couple years ago that hell according to history wasn't only a place kind of beneath my feet for the lesser of the dead it was actually a force a force a large portion of the world around me now metaphorically speaking i would say that yes that we do not fight against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and there's evils and forces around us that i think are manifested in people and situations and empire but if you think about the forces of evil that is potentially hell on the world scale all around us so our view of hell occupies our brain our view of hell occupies our decision-making process some people actually do not believe we need to take care of the earth or be stewards of the forests or be steward because why it's gonna all burn anyway so it just is blow you know we don't have to have to care about doing anything conservation on earth because it's all gonna burn in the end so we have this view of the world's going to end anyway, and everything is going to become just an imploded whatever. So the problem, though, is my view of hell in a traditional sense is what's called an empty room in the house of imagination. 
Hell is the empty room in the house of imagination. Some people say it's the old room in the house of imagination, but the old room is usually empty. So the empty room, why is it empty? Because there's no, there's no meat, there's no breadth, depth to scripture that you can really put together this traditional view of hell. So where do we get this little devil with the pitchfork and the red cape? down in the underworld of fire and molten lava and he's standing up on top of a rock breathing hot air all over the souls of the eternally damned of the gnashing of teeth even the bible says the gnashing of teeth where we just what burn for eternity that our souls just scream out and squeals and wails of please save me save me where does this come from and why would we even have this view of hell in the first place? That doesn't sound very loving. That doesn't sound like a God of grace. That doesn't sound like God to me that would create a place and this Satan or the Satan would be there in a red cave. It just seems really weird. Well, it actually comes from uh, Dante Alighieri, Alighieri, Dante Alighieri and his poem called Inferno. Inferno. Now, here's an excerpt from Dante Alighieri's poem called Inferno. The emperor of this kingdom of gloom came up out of the ice at the midpoint of his chest. Oh, what a marvel it appeared to me when I saw three faces on his head. The one in front was a brilliant red. There were two others that joined with this one above the middle part of either shoulder, and they merged together at the chest of his hair at the crest of his hair, excuse me. Underneath each face sprouted two mighty wings, all six proportion for a bird of great size. I never saw sails of the sea so large. Wow, that sounds like imaginative. That sounds like the empty house of the, call it the empty house of the halls of my imagination, right? I mean, the whole house is empty. So, the, so we have this imagination of, of, what hell could be like and we develop it out of out of paintings and pictures and people's interpretations and i mean if you've ever been to the sistine chapel you'll see or or really the the vatican in italy you'll see a lot of paintings that have like a little hellish excerpt or or maybe in the goth period where you'll see a lot of architecture that has a hellish type feeling to it and then you have dante's inferno where you actually have paintings that are pictured of Dante's Inferno. What did you say, Jake? What was that? I think it's I think it's Gothic period. Gothic, know, goth yeah. With the chokers and the black. Oh no 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 yeah Gothic. Sorry. So did I say goth? I'm a 1980s child. So yeah yeah goth. Well, I mean it's kind of the same. Anyway, just skeletons hanging around your neck or whatever. So I would say, well, it's been interpreted that. The face, the third face that's brilliant red in Dante's Inferno is actually Judas. So Judas becomes our picture of evil, the betrayer, right? The one that, that you know, sold out Jesus. And so he becomes the Satan, right? He's like the evil one. It's like, wow, what happened? I actually feel sorry for Judas. You know, my 
I have a lot of compassion for that guy. I mean, he, for all the annals of time, Judas has been like, ah, look at this guy, right? So, so for a very long time, our hell has been shaped. Well, heaven, heaven is the same. It's been shaped by pictures and mystery and mystical ideas that come from people who have supposedly died and seen bright lights and gates and maybe a little bit of St. Peter somewhere and just like this imaginative picture of what heaven is supposed to be and they say that they've seen it, they've, they've experienced. That one's a little nicer because bright lights and St. Peter welcome you at the gate. And I mean, that just seems like a welcoming, you know, coming home party with, you know, turkey dinner or whatever. So, but our pictures of heaven are shaped by imagination. So we have little babies. I wasn't joking about being a little baby in the cloud, you know, a little fat little baby with rolls around the tummy, you know, with diapers playing a harp, you know, that whole depiction of heaven. That's just to let you know, that's not in scripture. So, so if we take our, our view of heaven and our view of hell by imagination, that's fine. You can imagine anything if you want. I mean, that's your journey. And if you need to imagine it, then you need to imagine it. But it doesn't mean that it's real. And then our decisions don't need to be shaped by it. So this is where it gets really, really toxic. So Jake and I, Jake, Pastor Jake and I were years ago, years ago, we were meeting up with this gentleman by the name of Doug Paget. you know, book writer, kind of author, pastor. He's you know, one of the founders of the emergent church movement. Anyway, he was doing a debate with another man. He took a more, I would say, metaphysical or speculative approach approach of hell. And then the other gentleman took a very literal approach of hell. So the other gentleman actually believed that hell was like, you know, a fiery furnace, like a big oven that, you know, people got shoved in and like burned up or lived there or what I don't know where he was going with his view of like the fiery furnace but that was his literal view and then Doug Padgett is just looking at him like are you kidding me do you actually want that to be I mean you actually are getting excited that that's your view it was unreal like the debate was like a full house the whole church was full and people were like, yeah, Doug, and yeah, Mark, or whatever his name was. And then back and forth, they went back and forth on hell. I mean, it was it was literally a sickening feeling that I had in my, it's like, what, what if like, let's say his name was Mark, I can't remember his name, but Mark won, like he won the debate. Yay, Mark won, hell exists, right on, good job. You know, like you debated hell and now hell exists. So. So it's really weird, but it, what it taught me was heaven and hell actually shape our view of the world and helps us make decisions along the way. It shapes our life. So heaven in a traditional view is escapism where we nirvana, we blow off the earth and we go to this different place of paradise, of golden streets and gates and you know, people wearing white clothes or something. I don't know, just a place with a you know, beautiful water fountain. And then we live there for the rest of eternity, like doing nothing, or I don't know what we do there, sing songs and- With, with a bad one? 
Yeah, <laughs> it's it's very much like the Bodwan back in the day and the yeah the nineteen eighties of Oregon, but but that's escapism. And when we make decisions, knowing our eternal destiny is built off of escapism, that actually changes our view. That becomes a world view. And then if you're like thinking that your destiny is, well, we'll just go down to hell and me and my buddies will party there for eternity and burn up and like squeal and, you know, cry out like, God save me. And that's, that's like our view of hell that we're just scorching souls and, you know, middle earth of burning lava or whatever's happening in this view of hell. I just, it's really ugly. Dante's Inferno is really weird. And people are like, you know, dressed in black clothes and it's like climbing up ladders, trying to get out and all this weird, weird oh, stuff. That's political that's, commentary. Yeah, that's it's political comedy. But honestly, it was like the pictures that are out of that poem, the pictures that have been drawn out of that poem are really ugly. They're very, very ugly. And I would say that if that is, you know, even close to your view of hell, that is something to be afraid of. I would definitely be scared to go to this place of burning souls and, you know, heaven help me type of thing and some dude with a pitchfork stabbing me in the back the whole time i would be very scared so as heaven in a traditional view breeds <clears throat> escapism hell breeds fear so if i have escapism and fear and that is the edges of my pipeline of logic edges and I'm bouncing my ideas and it's hitting fear and escapism all along the way, that will shape and guide much of my life. What I tell my children, how my relationship with my spouse is cultivated, my job, uh, my career, my future, my building of you know, future security or whatever, whatever decisions I'm making in my life. Definitely that idea of escapism and fear will shape. Okay. That's my long introduction. So you two are going to take the rest of it and please teach me because I'm totally, I'm, you know, 25 years in being a pastor I've heard some doozies on heaven and hell, okay? I've heard it all. Teach me a biblical view of hell. I want it tonight. Jake, give me some hell. That was, that was, that was very intense. I, I, think, <laughs> I think you'll be just fine, Kevin, with that. Oh, good, okay, all right. I'm sure you uh, know all that we're going to say and more. <clears throat> um, so Kevin touched the point of why, why do we need hell? Why does hell guide our decision? And I would have to say that we need fear as part of our part of our limbic system in order to guide us to what we feel like is the right decision. And so, if we're in any type of in a power position, having that that barrier of fear that we can implement to make people um, conform to the pattern that we want them to make. So we set up the, the limit that they're supposed to do. And if they go beyond that limit, we have 
an eternal punishment, not just what we can give you, but we have the end of all things punishment. Then it's where Charles Manson lives. That's where Charles Manson lives. So <laughs> it's, right. it's true. Hitler, Charles Manson, Jeffrey Dahmer, they live there. But if you're outside of that and just normal people and not the extremes, which we can get to the extremes a bit later. Okay. Right. It is a way of conformity. And to lay you, if you look at empire, empire implements the ideal dear of the idea, the idea of hell so that its citizens will behave in ways that will save them money. I think that's they, the basis of hell. Not the citizens. No, no. The empire will save money and yeah. resources and power based upon the implementation of, of fear and hell. That is that is what I think is the basis of why we need hell is so that we can make people behave like we want them to make. Not that we want them to behave. So, to, okay, wait a minute. You just said something huge right there. So what you're saying is the church, right? And the old world church too. And like wait a minute. like uh, modern church, but, but the church from the beginning of Jesus uh, forward. No, the implement, I think it, hell is very late in theology and idea. Um, I would put it at almost the Holy Roman Empire that we have a developed uh, idea of hell. Um, Constantine in the 300s forward did not even have a fully I I developed idea of hell. And there was other implementations of power that they were using. And so it wasn't until when the church became um, a theocracy that we see hell being implemented as a tool of of uh, conformity. Is that, is that so, good? Well, what you're saying, though, right there is that hell is a form of control. So if the church has the land, the money, the power, we need to create an imaginative place that would hold people in line to yes, keep money, power, <clears throat> status for the yeah. church. Yeah. Is that what? And okay. even like in our theocracy in the United States, we use hell as a way of of codifying laws that uh, we saw it with the upheaval and the reversal of Roe v. Wade that if you were on the other side, the side that wanted to keep Roe v. Wade, that you are a murderer, you are a um, you are going to hell basically because of your your moral um, positions on that. Just the position, so, just the position, just the, just right. the position of not the action, not the implementation, but the position. And so we have used hell as a weapon politically, um, in church, in relationships, in family structures as a way for conformity. That's why we need hell. So people will conform to the pattern that we want them to behave in, especially if we are the ones that hold the power. 
So what would you say, like in the two, three hundreds, where we see illusions of hell or the interpretation of Jesus, the gnashing of teeth, Gehenna, those types of ideas, where you see early church fathers in the 200s or third century basically start to develop ideas like allusions to hell. Allusions to hell. Right. The, uh, I think that if you look back what was written 300 years ago, let's say a constitution or a declaration of independence or is there error in that and that document? Oh, of course. That's why we have amendments. <laughs> why we have amendments. That's why oops. we, <laughs> oops. Yeah. That's why there's <clears throat> things called savages written down and stuff like that. Right. Right. You have, so what they're basing their information off of was two to 300 years. And so even our cultural perspective of we are different people than what people in the United States were 300 years ago. Mm -hmm. A church was much different and powerful and moving super fast. And so in order to create this idea of why am I making a decision to follow Christ? Why am I making a decision to become a Christian? It was the ultimate end of hell is where you go if you're not following that. Right. Hell in, in scripture is hell in scripture and i'll just make the claim is not mentioned mm -hmm. that we have translated certain words and ideas to to create the image of hell based upon our current english understanding of that and king james is actually the that that version mm -hmm. is is the one that uses hell the most out of any out of any Bible, any scripture, because it translates all uses that could even be metaphors to hell as hell. Uh, there are three words that are most often translated as hell. It's Gehenna, which is where we get the weeping and gnashing of teeth, which we'll talk about in a second. Hades, which is the Greek Hellenistic idea of where you go in the afterlife. And then you have Tatros, which is another idea that no one really understands. Um, an idea of Hades is that all souls go to Hades, not just the bad or the good. Um, you can see that on the Disney animated film Hercules, where all souls have gone to Hades and this river sticks and you pay the boatman and all these things, right? And so all souls go into Hades. Gehenna, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, was the valley of hidam which was basically the trash dump mm -hmm. of jerusalem and it's where fires were happening all day and all night because they're burning their trash and the things that they wanted to throw out mm -hmm. um it's where they would send lepers and outcasts mm -hmm. and that's why there was weeping and the gnashing of teeth as your teeth are falling out of your skull because you have leprosy right yep and then um, another metaphor idea. That was a sound effect. <clears throat> that was yeah. a great sound effect. Uh, Rob, if you'll actually throw up uh, my slide there, bud. This is where we see that at the, the most. It's in Matthew 5, 22. 
If I say to you that everyone who's angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment, if they say their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. If they say you fool, they will be in danger of Gehenna, the fiery hell, or Gehenna pun, I believe it is, the, the fiery, the fire, the fired of Gehenna. You can pull it down. So think about Gehenna, this idea as a, as a trash dump. Mm-hmm. That is a much different implementation than, than hell. Were people sentenced there? Like, are you saying that they were sentenced to go there? You're trash. They were. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're trash, right, and you have leprosy, you're usually right. sent to. Also, we sentence people to trash dumps. All yeah. trash dump, mm-hmm. all trash dumps in the United States are geographically the closest to communities where it's the highest concentration of people of color. Mm-hmm. And that's a study out of UC, the Universal Uni, uh, Universal Christ, um, that the all trash dumps are locatively closer to to communities of diversity than those of white communities. <laughs> so the so margin, so the marginalized become the marginalized out, and the outcasts right. are the ones that are sent to what we have deemed as the trash dumps. Right. Um, also, when talking about the weeping and gnashing of teeth, and in that place of Gehenna, that's also where they threw crucified bodies to burn. Mm-hmm. And right. so, oftentimes when we look at Gehenna, that is Christ foreshadowing his own death. And then when you look at the Matthew 22 section where it talks about the parable of the talents at the end, the, the evil servant, and we'll, we'll put air, big air quotes around that because is sentenced to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So right. what we know about that parable is that it's actually the servant that is sent to basically what we deem as hell as the good servant. And that the master is the one that is actually the Satan or the devil in this section is the, is the antagonist, the evil one. Right. And so what we are saying by our theology that Gehenna means hell is that, is that we are putting the master as God. And that's why we can't rectify that. If we, if we view that parable as different than what it was intended to be, then, then it would match up with our idea of Gehenna. But if okay, you, so re- you... re-explain that because uh, I don't want to lose our audience with that. So the master commissions in the parable of the talents, but the master, the yes. master is an evil master. He is the evil force. Yes, right. And the one that's being sentenced to hell is is the good force. It's the Jesus in the in the parable. Right, because Jesus didn't make money off of. The talents he didn't he was the one yeah. that just stored it away correct and so right. that basic understanding of Gehenna and what we have always translated as hell is completely bunk right okay 
So give me give me a reality then of hell because I'm an annihilationist. I would con I would claim annihilationism. Can I? Uh, I have one more section. Can I do, oh, okay. Yeah, one of more course. Or, of okay. course. Okay. Yeah, go for it. We talked about Satan earlier, and Satan's a mm -hmm. big part when we look at hell. Um, we have no biblical understanding of what Satan is. Satan is not mentioned in scripture besides in Job in the garden scene and in Revelation 12 where it's where we like to say that that is a literal person but we'll take the entire book as metaphor right mm -hmm. and so uh, you have Lucifer or the morning star but the morning star and Lucifer was also attributed to Jesus and the Messiah the morning star and Lucifer was the king of Babylon right or the one who rules and changes the world the dawn bringer that was actually a title of authority and power and, and actually goodness that the dawn is going to change and so our idea of Satan being cast from heaven is actually a pseudo apocrypha book that's not even in in scripture mm -hmm. that we have adopted as theology that that mm -hmm. Satan is this actual being. The serpent in, in, in Genesis has no connection to Satan whatsoever. And so when we have the king of, king of hell, right? That is something that comes out of medieval theology. Right. Um, I will say the, the biblical understanding of hell after saying all of this stuff, that hell is not even in, in scripture is when you said kevin that i have been lots of places in the world but hell is not one of them in your introduction that's not true that <laughs> hell is what you make of it mm. that hell is here hell is now hell is is the world on fire the only, only time we really see hell in implementation is when is when in in, in story and in poem God casts Adam and Eve out of paradise, out of the garden, into this other place that they had control and mastery over, that they were able to create pockets of heaven that well, Shrey will hopefully get into later, and pockets of hell in. That what you do with it is what happens with it. I, I don't believe that hell is a place that you go and you die. I... I question even well even, hell is a place that most people say you go and you live for a very long a time yeah that you go and you live for a very long time but after you die but actually it's a continual death right hell right, is the right. continual death but that is here now I think we were on a run we were on a run and we're talking today about hell is suffering is already here I think every time every breath you take is a suffer like it, it is it is work to live it takes energy it takes resources it takes it takes it takes it doesn't give life doesn't give and so hell then becomes the 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 place that you make when there is no hope I think the antithesis of that is different so i would still claim 
because maybe I'm just old and 50 and traditional pastor, that when we are in a separated state from God, now that's not for me to judge, and I have no idea besides you know, my own guarantees of my own life that are around me and my own personal relationship with Christ and my community relationship with Christ, with my body of believers that I'm connected to, that I believe that the people that are within my community are saved, that we have a place that is a room in a house that's a mansion of many rooms. What does that look like? I have no idea. Well, that's uh, heaven, right? That's heaven. And then if I have any a separation though from God and who are those separated ones? Hmm. I need to be very, very careful about who I determine are the separated ones. I would say that there's an eternity that is their destination. Yet if I could fill in the room of imagination is if there needs to be a place that place is of as Carl Bart would say is a place of non-existence that this is the life that they lived here on earth and they created a hell and like my uncle would say when you're dead you're dead and it's not a place of eternal existence I would take the Gregory Boyd stance, I guess, of annihilationism that most Seventh-day Adventists would take as well in their theology of annihilationism, that when you die, you, you don't live, you are eternally annihilated, like your soul just would go away. But the gift of salvation becomes an eternal place of rest eternal place of Sabbath, the eternal place of some form, as Sheree is going to say, some form of heaven that maybe I don't go to, but comes to me. Sherea, take it away. Heaven. Give me some heaven. Because that was really depressing. Talk about the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Talk about some gold streets for a while and maybe water fountains. That's what I need. I will give that to you. Okay. Dang it. <laughs> um, I mean, Kevin, you already touched on um, the the cultural things that heaven has taken on, and how when that's our filter, um, it's the way we see things, um, and it becomes the way we see the text of the Bible itself. Um, so the Hebrew word for heaven is shemayim, and it literally means the sky. Nice. It sometimes also means God's space, the space where God is. Um, but most of the time it's used in the Bible is, is referring to the sky. So um, an example is in Psalm 8.3. So Rob, if you could put that up on the screen, please. When I look up at your skies, there's that word right there, Shemayim at what your fingers made, the moon and the stars that you see firmly in place. Heaven is literally the sky. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think when we, when we conflate these two meanings of the sky and God's space, um, that's how 
another way that we get this idea that God is up in the sky. Right. Uh, the Bible doesn't have a ton to say about Shemaim. Um, and I looked up verses on heaven as I was preparing. And so Google gave me all of those, you know, 35 verses about heaven or whatever. Um, I looked through those verses and they're things like talking about the, the narrow gate versus the wide gate or set your mind on the things that are above. Mm -hmm. A single one of those verses actually used the word Shemayim. So all of these verses in this list that are attributed to heaven aren't even talking about about heaven. Interesting. That's fascinating. Thank you for that. <laughs> so are um, you laughing because we've always just carried those forward as yeah, heaven and that's yeah, just like that's such bad theology. Done. Yeah. That's what the culture has done has made us see in the text this way. Right. Um, we make assumptions that these verses are talking about an afterlife when that's not what they're doing. Right. Um, a lot of them, like there are some verses in Isaiah that do mention um, Shemayim and God's space. And it's talking about God bringing justice and restoration to Israel. Um, and we tend to co-opt that and make it about an afterlife so that it can apply to us directly too. Um but it's not. Yeah. Um, when the word Shemaim is used to talk about God's space, it's, it's in contrast to human space, but not necessarily separate from human space. Um, and so if on your own time, you want to look up um, the Bible project video on heaven and earth, it's mm. excellent. Yeah. Um, and one of the things they do is they show a Venn diagram. So there's God's circle. Oh, this is hard to see on here. God's circle yeah. and our circle, but yeah. they overlap. Um, mm. And sometimes they overlap and make one circle. Sometimes they overlap only a little bit and you get the mandorla in the middle, right? Where heaven right. enters. Um, and I think as humans, we make choices about whether God is welcome in our space. Um, and sometimes our choices cause separation feels like too strong of a word to me. Mm -hmm. uh, right. But I think we can try to push God out of our space. Um, and the narrative of most of the Bible is one of the reunion of heaven and earth so that we again have that perfect overlap in our circles. Um, we see this, for example, in the temple, how the imagery and decor in the temple is meant to evoke God's space so that the temple becomes that place where heaven and earth overlap. Um, and we don't, we really don't see any scriptures talking about uh, going to heaven when we die. Um, mm. What we see instead is the reunification of heaven and earth. Um, so I also want to look at Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3. So Rob, if you could pop that one up too. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her, her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, 
God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. So there's no, there's no leaving the earth to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Heaven comes here and I think heaven is already here depending on our choices. So there's some kind of illusion in scripture because revelation is really difficult to build a theology out of, right? So it's apocalyptic literature. It was meant for the people of that day, but revelation 21 becomes very imaginative and very illustrative metaphorical. So heaven, though we know like a big box, Jerusalem is the big box, right? Heaven Jerusalem comes down mm -hmm. to earth. So that's where the idea or the theology of recreation, since yeah. the Bible is in a motif, a cyclical motif of recreation all through from creation forward, that Jesus becomes the recreated or recreation force of salvation ultimately. And then now in the end, we see a recreation and that's very N.T. Wright-ish of recreation. Uh, but it becomes that illusion of heaven coming down, that we don't go there. We don't nirvana off the planet. Nirvana means to blow off and become the Hindu Buddhist version of nirvana. Is you blow off and become at one with Brahma, the God, the, the tr the, actually the Trinity God of of uh, Hinduism or Buddhism out there somewhere. It's like a sense of going to a different place, but Christians believe that heaven comes down. I, I drew out a picture for you. Can everyone see Thank this? You. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So heaven, it's all backwards, but heaven and earth, like two circles yep. come together and produce this shape here which is the almond shape. The almond shape becomes the sacred fruit of Judaism. Um, also becomes the ichthus here. And that's the over here. That's the Christian fish with yeah. the two. I can't even do this with the two tails here. You can, you get the picture. So, <clears throat> so that's Jesus is where heaven and earth come together in Christ. So, Correct me if I'm wrong. In Christ, as Paul would say, in Christ, we are experiencing heaven in Christ. So heaven is here. I think so. Tracy Chapman, so too. <laughs> oh, well. So in, in Romans uh, 3, three uh -huh. it talks about... Uh, those who do not know the law, but do what the law commands yeah. of them. And so I believe that you can create heaven. And that's why we talk about the goodness of people that, that are, are not Christians, right? That people mm -hmm. can be right. insanely good. That it's a, the basic human understanding of, of creating goodness and heaven around you that's what that's what we were designed to do right 
Yeah. That's that was our that's our vocation as gardeners is to create that. And so I'd say in Christ, yes. That we that are we have a big word called soteriology. That's the mm-hmm. study of salvation mm-hmm. and what salvation means. Um, and I don't know if we're do we talk about salvation in this in this series at all, or is that it's just kind of tonight is salvation? Kind of tonight, yeah. yeah, yeah. Salvation to me means that creation is healed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is not. It doesn't mean that you, as an individual, have been saved to blow off this earth and to and to wear diapers and play a harp in the sky like heaven was. Let it all burn, right? Or let it all burn. That, but it's it's to just to heal the damage that we have done. Mm-hmm. And I think that the holy deed of Christ to love love God and love others is that healing mm-hmm. of of what we have undone. And when you look at Isaiah, um, it talks about recreation and also decreation. That the decreation is the rolling is the rolling up of the scroll but recreation is rolling the scroll out so that new words can be spoken right can i say that another way yeah because like we talk we use this language of being saved from our sins right um so if sin is when we cause harm um when we hurt others mm-hmm. then to make that right isn't just this you know mystical jesus forgives me and my soul is fine it's like we're actually going to those whom we've hurt and trying to fix it trying to make it better trying to repair what was broken and that's that's that recreation process like it's still there, buried in our old traditional language. We just kind of miss it. Yeah. If I could add a couple of thoughts of where I believe that our, like the very fulcrum point of this discussion comes from. Mm-hmm. And that is from the idea of what's called platonic dualism. Mm, okay. And platonic dualism means that our mind and our body, or let's say our soul and our body, are separate. Kind of same diff, right? Mind and body. In the Greeks, they believed the soul was the mind. Jews Jews believed that the gut was Mm -hmm. the soul. The knowledge was carried in the gut. Yeah. So, so, which, yeah, yeah. So the soul has become this separate piece from the body. Plato, Platonic Plato, came up with the idea of dualism. And in his version of dualism, or what people interpreted his version to be, is the mind was separate from the body, the body was separate from the mind, what you did with the mind didn't affect the body, what you did with the body didn't affect the mind. So that's how that played out. Uh, we all know that that doesn't play out. 
like if you know you're you've been born more than a day alive more than a day you know that that doesn't work out because lots of emotions are created through like a physical action that's been done unto you and if you believe that emotions are chemical processes of the mind then if you have a physical altercation with somebody and they punch you in the face, you're going to have, why did you do that to me? I can't believe you hate me. Why did, you know, so you start like having an emotional reaction. So just that right there is shows that there's some form of togetherness with the mind and the body that are connected. So we don't, as Christians, believe in platonic dualism and practice. But yet, because Probably and I should say and, that we as Christians shouldn't believe in Platonic dualism. I think that we oftentimes do believe in Platonic. Oh, dualism. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, th well, okay. So I would say our community <laughs> has been taught <laughs> to not believe in Platonic dualism that there's this separation. And how does that play out in the afterlife is because in China has done, there's some, been some psychologists in China have done exhaustive research on platonic dualism and how that affects our views of the afterlife. And to the point that humans believe in platonic dualism and it's so ingrained in our beings of how we've been taught and what we believe that somehow the soul is separate from the body and eventually that soul goes to a new place because it's a separate thing that can be preserved for all eternity. So the human beings, homo sapiens, have it's been shown that we have a condition of afterlife that our, we are conditioned for it and we believe that our mind, but it doesn't play out. Even scripture tells us that we're, you know, going to get some form of like, well, the traditional view would be a new body. So what happens to that soul? Isn't an old soul in a new body? That's a metaphor for heaven and my new created idea in heaven or my new created being in heaven. So, so that's the fulcrum point of where the afterlife comes from. It comes from this idea of Plato, long time ago philosopher, that he came up with the idea of the separation of the mind and body, which we know doesn't play out in reality and in just action items of life. Uh, it just doesn't. But we still believe that it's separate. And then it continues on in our theology and, of course, then in these versions of heaven and hell. So what I hear you saying and what you've taught me is heaven and hell are a very, I just don't know what happens to me after I die. The best guess that I could have is that heaven comes down to earth and there's some form of recreation and preservation of heaven on earth. Because the things that we do, the holy deed, like Jake said and Sheree illustrated, is that when I recreate something, like let's say I take something very immoral and I reclaim it for something very moral. Well, let's say like I've heard of somebody taking like a, 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 a sex trafficking building and they turn it into something very beautiful, 
like they turn it into a gathering place that people like a like a counseling center well that's a very recreation idea and i think that those things are going to be preserved for heaven that's a heaven on earth deal that's a heaven on earth. we go from trafficking to counseling and so there's an organization that's called a village for one here in portland out in oregon city they actually take homes and they put these young ladies in that have been trafficked they give them counseling and resources. I mean, that is heaven on earth. Is that just going to go away when, you know, the end of time comes, whatever that is, and however that is? I don't. Th I think those places and the people's spirits and the hearts will be there for eternity. So, in this, as Shreya said, heaven comes down in Revelation twenty-one. We're going to experience this recreation. I don't know. I still have to like hold on to my old school annihilationism jake i just don't know what to do with that i don't know what to do with the jeffrey dahmers and the charles mansons and the hitlers and the mussolinis and the um, Stalins. So you, you brought up you brought up bart right yeah and bart is a universalist right not an annihilationist and but oh there's a place uh, it's called the abyss he calls it the abyss but to the abyss is saved for people that he didn't know what to do with. Yeah, I don't know what to do with these people either. I'm a Bartonian. So, yeah, so you, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's odd. But you have the question is though, if if you do go to an annihilationist or a universalist view, is the grace of God big enough to change the mind, heart, and body? of those who created so much evil and hate in the world. I want to hope so. But here we are. Here we are with those people and the pain and the anguish that people have experienced. As a pastor, there's no way that I would say, oh, you know, that person is just going to be dancing on the banquet table with us all. I mean, I just, you know... I have a hard time crossing that bridge unless yeah. you know they accepted a certain form of grace or yeah. something in their life. Before someone they... very iconic died today, right? Yeah, the queen. Yeah. And so, I mean, people have, I was reading a, a post today, um, people have very different perspectives of, mm -hmm. of this person. And yes. in the end, they're a person, they're, but they represent an institution of... Mm -hmm. of slavery or genocide of tons mm -hmm. of pain of from other people and other they they represent goodness and grace and prosperity and 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 so i think prince i think princess diana changed her i think so i think that 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 was kind of an interjection what she did with aids and how she like tried to raise awareness of poverty and AIDS and stuff on the world front. Um, that's Diana. kind of he Princess Diana, yeah. Uh, that brought a certain heaven to earth for the queen, and she didn't quite know what to do with that. And over the next, you know, however many years yeah. it's been, you just saw her respond differently. Yeah, she became very well respected. Um. Of course, though, she represents the monarchy and the monarchy over, you know, eons of time has not been Power. very well respected. Really? Huh? Yeah. So you think about like even that perspective, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
that what do we do with that that's not our call right and heaven that's the beauty of heaven and hell it is not our call and we're going to find out a lot when you know i guess we close our eyes for the last breath and what do we see on the other side what i have though is in christ in christ what i know in christ i can bring heaven to earth i can give heaven on earth and i can create and recreate heaven on earth and that's what i know and so i haven't been saved for some eternal destination i've been saved for a purpose here on earth to carry that plan out yeah in the world is what paul would say in the flesh i can create hell on earth and which one am i going to choose today and that is where fear and escapism leave the equation and my christian worldview of bringing heaven to earth and not hell when i bring heaven to earth that becomes my pipeline of logic is then the information goes into my worldview and exits how do i bring love my neighbor and love god to right here right now somebody asked me how do i know truth how do i know truth and some people say hell is truth and heaven is truth that which is closer to love is truth that which is closer to love than far away is truth and we need to keep that in mind then when we recreate love on earth that is truly heaven and farther away from hell than than heaven so we need to we need to uh, implement that all right heaven and hell where the hell are we going right here to recreate heaven on earth that's what we need to keep in mind all right we need to talk about soul sleep oh we don't need to we don't need to talk about soul sleep we don't need to talk about purgatory we don't need to talk about any of that we just need to worry about right here right now and what we're doing and how we're bringing it here and in what fashion so let's bring some heaven to earth today let's be the little christ the christians the little christ on earth hey thanks you two for uh joining us on the constructionist tonight Remember, each and every week on Thursday evenings, we meet up at 8 o'clock. We try to keep it to an hour, hour and 15 minutes, so you can get it all in before bedtime. We hope that you enjoyed tonight and uh, our discussion and another building block of a Christian worldview that is more relevant and loving to the people around us. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us.